0: What's going on, everybody? This is the Nomad Strength Show. I am Ross Hillier, your host, and we are doing another Ask Me Anything today. Uh, we got a lot of questions on the last one, and then I've posted again on Instagram asking for questions on an Ask Me Anything type of post, and we got a ton of questions. So, uh, I've distilled them down into a handful that we're gonna do for these ones because we like to keep these Thursday episodes a little shorter. Uh, maybe I'll do one one of these days where we just do we get wild and we answer like all 20 plus questions I get when I do these things and we'll turn it into an hour and a half long episode. but for today's purposes, we're just gonna keep it relatively short like we normally do. Got a handful of good questions and one that's ones that came up actually several times, which is why I picked these ones specifically today. So we kind of cover, quite the range of topics with, with these questions, which is why I thought it was kind of cool that they came up a little more frequently this time around and which is why I wanted to answer these ones. So before we get into all of the actual questions and the ask me anything stuff, go to wherever you're listening on your podcast and rate, review, subscribe, do all the normal things that I ask every time you do this, uh, Because it really does help the show be seen, be heard by more people, and it shows up and it always makes our page look better when there's a bunch of five-star reviews and nice little things that people write. It's always fun to read those things. There's some good ones up there right now. So if you wouldn't mind just taking a couple of minutes, it doesn't really take that long to do that kind of stuff. So please go in there and do that. And like I said, it really helps the show get seen. Uh, And that's it for updates for this week. There's a lot of other things that are coming out that I'm going to be starting to talk about. Let's see, this is the first week of April. So next week, there's some things that I'm going to start unveiling to all of you. So we'll get into all that stuff next week. But as far as updates in the nomad world, that's all for this week. So let's get into the Ask Me Anything, shall we? So the first question that I got had to do with jiu-jitsu, which is why I want to answer it first. Because I am, as you may know if you've followed me for any any matter of time, the last couple of, well, it's actually been just about six weeks now that I've been really involved in jujitsu. I joined a local uh, school here in in the area and I've been going around four times a week in the mornings, the 5 a.m. class. And the question, I want to pull it up just so I can, because the way that he asked it was actually a really cool, it was really good phrasing and I liked how he asked it. So I'm going to pull it up right here he says, "What have you learned about yourself since starting your jujitsu journey?" And I liked, I liked that question. Uh, what have I learned about myself? And for me, there wasn't so much that I've learned about myself, m- more so than being in a competitive, a competitive environment again and being in an environment where I'm learning something brand new and I suck at something again. uh, That's something I haven't experienced for several years now. Uh, Back the last time I can really point to that. There was a little bit of that when I started Olympic weightlifting and I went through a pretty heavy Olympic weightlifting phase, but I had a lot of technical background in a lot of those things. So really it was just fine tuning stuff. But I can say the the biggest thing I can relate that to since starting Jiu Jitsu was back in in college track days when they moved me over to, to decathlon and I had to learn several events that I had never even once attempted before. And there's a very steep learning curve with a lot of those events, especially things like pole vault, right? And a couple of the throws like javelin that are extremely technical. Uh, you know, the, the other throws are technical as well, I mean, everything's technical. At that high level, uh, but I'm not a big dude, so I couldn't just, you know, brute force my way through a shot put throw or uh, anything like that. I had to really dial in technique, and so, but that environment of learning something brand new and being really terrible at it for a long time, and I've talked about it in a lot of posts before. But the idea of being a white belt at something, stimulating your mind to go after learning a new skill or or develop a new skill or whatever it is, having that regularly really helps to benefit much more than just you mentally. And I'm I'm learning that going through jujitsu again. And I guess I shouldn't say learning it, I'm, I'm relearning it because it's been a handful of years since I've experienced something like this in that realm of learning a new skill and sucking at something for a long time. And I actually like it a lot. I, I like being the bottom rung of, of whatever it is that I'm doing and having something to work towards and strive for and strive to work towards. So it's been really fun in that sense. And I'm, like I said, I'm about six weeks in now. So that is, you know, I'm a, I'm an infant when it comes to jujitsu age, obviously. And, uh, but there are a couple things in terms of terminology and concepts that I'm, I'm starting to understand a little bit. in and, and in so much as the reason behind why certain things happen. Uh, I couldn't necessarily demonstrate them, even though I kind of understand them. Like, I couldn't tell you the the equation or the processes by which to get to certain places while I'm rolling, but I can understand what's happening, even though I can't do anything about it. So that's kind of where I am right now. Uh, But it's a blast, and I love it. And so one of the things, if I were to say something I've learned about myself uh, that would be new, man, I don't know if there's anything new that I've, that I've learned about myself. It's just so much, and it's been so much fun to reawaken. Like I said, a lot of that competitiveness that, you know, I'm not necessarily doing this for the sport of jujitsu yet. Anyways, I don't have any immediate plans of competing, although I'm not going to ever rule that out, but, uh, the competitive nature in me that, hasn't really gotten a chance to come out for a handful of years now training by myself and you know just being in the the health world of just training to be healthy not training for anything that's a completely different shift on how I train and so it's given me a lot more focus with my own training around, uh, how I prepare for jujitsu. And so it's just been a ton of fun and I am really looking forward to continuing. And I have absolutely zero plans of stopping anytime soon. Uh, the school I'm at is awesome. The couple that own it and teach the two professors, they're amazing. And I have a lot of really great training partners that are helping me out while we're rolling during class. And it just makes the whole environment a lot more fun. So, uh, for me, that's, I, I love that. And the community aspect of it is huge. And so I'm I'm really enjoying it so far. So I'll, there'll be far more updates, uh, as I get farther down these rabbit holes, which I'm, you know, if, if, like I've said before, my personality is such that I tend to get a little obsessive about some things when I really get into them. And this is no exception. So it's been a lot of fun, but I'll, I'll give many more updates as, as things progress. And I have more to share in that realm. So thank you for that question. It was a good one. Um, another one that's come up a couple of times, uh, from a couple of different people, actually. So I'm curious to actually talk to these guys and find out why this is the case, but, uh, training around or training with sleep deprivation. So what I'm assuming is they are, uh, you know, maybe night shift guys or, Maybe someone like law enforcement or or I'm, I'm speaking to the examples of people that I've already worked with that have these kind of schedules where it's like 12-hour shifts every couple of days and they're weird hours or, you know, like sometimes people in hospitals have these kind of shifts. Uh, law enforcement has these kinds of shifts. There's plenty of other jobs that do, but these are the ones that I've worked with directly in the past. So, but having weird shifts at weird hours of the night where you're not sleeping, you know, traditional normal times when it's dark. Uh, can really jack up a lot of progress as far as sleep or as far as training and health goes. It can really mess you up as far as progress. And I understand that sometimes there's no way around it. If That's what you do for a career. Uh, uh, firefighters have a lot of this kind of stuff as well and in terms of schedule. So, uh, There's mitigate the the approach at that point is mitigation, and how do we take the how how do we can how do we train the minimum effective dose that's still going to give us the results we need, but not require uh, really the level of intensity that we would be able to perform if we had, you know, well restful seven to nine hours a night, you know, like what is recommended. And what I like to do when I work with these people about this, because I've actually worked with a couple of guys that have crazy hours in in law enforcement. uh, When we talk about the sleep part of it, I'm much more concerned with the the quality of our sleep than the quantity of our sleep because I know that sometimes the quantity is something that we cannot control, especially if you're someone who's on call, like you sleep when you can, basically. And uh, so in that sense, we can do some things to enhance the quality of our sleep. So even though we may not be getting as much as we want, the, the sleep that we're getting, it's actually still going to be beneficial for us. So, so as far as some sleep hygiene things, uh, a couple of things that I recommend... Sleeping in a cold room. I'm talking like 62 to 65-ish degrees is kind of that sweet spot for sleeping well. There's a reason that if you go camping and you're sleeping in the mountains in the fresh air other than being in nature and fresh air, that you sleep so well at night. That cooler temperature in the the nighttime really helps set you into a deep, deep sleep. And so that's the first one is you can drop the temperature in the room. And all these things are very easy to do, by the way. You can drop the temperature in the room. You can uh, cut screen usage on phones, TVs, laptops, whatever, at least, at least... An hour before you go to bed. Uh, the blue light that emits from those things can wreak havoc on our circadian rhythm, which is our biological clock. Which, if you're working night shifts, that's already going to be out of whack uh, because our bodies are designed to sleep when it's dark. That uh, just physiologically, that's how we're built. And so, if you're already doing something that's counterproductive to that, you want to minimize that as much as possible. So, uh, in that sense, make sure that you are cutting screen times at least an hour give your eyes a rest, uh, read a book on a page, like actual page, not even a Kindle paperwhite, even though they say that that's the same thing, uh, get an actual book, read that, or, you know, just stretch, roll out, uh, focus and just, or spend time with family. Don't need to actually be on a device, uh, and do that for an hour before you go to sleep. Um, Another one, if depending on where you are and you're able to do it, blackout shades are great, make the room as dark as possible. We don't want any lights coming in that are going to interrupt our, our sleep patterns as well. And if you can't and you're in an area where maybe like you're in a firehouse or whatever and you're sleeping in the firehouse, you can't really control that. Something like a sleep mask is actually really great because it's going to shut all that out from entering your eyes. So uh, that's an option for you as well. And then, uh, that I mean, those are really like kind of the top three that are the easiest and the most accessible for most people no matter where you are. So I would start with those three things and really pay attention to the quality of your sleep. And then not only that, but when you're awake, pay attention to how you're feeling. And just because it says something on your training program for the day, if you slept like garbage last night, it's actually going to be more beneficial for you to not crush yourself in the gym the next day, uh, You know, regardless of the grind mentality that is so often pushed. Uh, it's going to be much more beneficial for you to actually maybe even take a nap during that time and catch up and get some more sleep in your system rather than uh, go try and kill yourself in a workout and make things worse. So that would be my way that I go about it for the sleep deprivation side of things. Uh, but again, it really is just dependent on your situation, what you do for work, how, how much you're actually getting. And and there's a whole lot of factors, but if I were to kind of blanket statement, a couple of those things, those would be my top three. So good question. Uh, mm, let's see here. Ooh, this is a good one. Uh, favorite sandbag workouts. This is a good one because I've been really into sandbag training a lot more in the last month with jujitsu because I, there's a lot of carryover in my opinion, especially the types of bags that I use that don't have handles. I know I've talked about them before on a couple of different episodes, but I use the StrongFit bags. They don't have handles, so you're required to use a lot more of open palm grip. Uh, so it's very good for your hand and forearm strength and grip strength. So that's why I like to use them, but, I can, uh, but you can use them for any... Exercise. Uh, you just use the sandbag instead of a barbell. I mean, you can you can substitute a sandbag in for any exercise if you've got the weights required. I have ones that go from sixty pounds all the way up to two hundred and fifty pounds. I have like seven, six or seven bags in that rep, in that uh, weight range that go from sixty all the way up to two fifty. Uh, so there's a little, there's unlimited things you can do with them. So m- my all time favorite sandbag workout is actually one that my coaching men's tribe, the Nomad tribe, is doing as a challenge for the month of April. And we are actually borrowing this from StrongFit because he posed this challenge to all the people that follow him on Instagram and his coaching clients as well. But it is to carry a sandbag bear hug style on your chest for 400 meters every single day the month of April. And the only parameters uh, for this challenge is if you if your feet stop at all, so not even you 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 can't drop it because that your feet would obviously stop if you drop it. But even if your feet stop just to readjust, you can readjust your hands as long as you're walking. But if your feet stop moving, you have to drop the bag to the ground and do two sandbag cleans up to your chest again, and then you can continue walking. So uh, for those of you who've never done a long distance bear hug carry with a decent amount of weight, uh, it will test you more mentally than just about anything uh, that I've done in a long time. And I started doing these probably four or five years ago. And I make it a regular habit to do a few of them a month. Uh, So I'm, I'm pretty used to them at this point. And when I, when we started this challenge, the first day had probably been about a month since I've done them. And I only had to make one stop at around the 250 meter mark. And honestly, it was just because it slipped out of my hands. There was nothing I could do at that point, uh, which sucked because I was going to try and make it the full 400. And I did it with about an 85 pound bag. So nothing, you know, super heavy, um, but the, the point is it's going to absolutely challenge your core, your breathing, your lower spine, your lower erector area. Uh, a lot of people think that when they begin to feel something, even if it's, just muscle tension or muscle contraction in their lower back that automatically means injury. And it's because a lot of people are scared of hurting their low back, right? Well, when you do these sandbag carries this way, it actually is strengthening that area because it's loading the spine the way that your spine is designed to hold weight, right? Like our spine and the muscles are our rectors specifically are not made to flex and extend the spine. Meaning to bend forward and backwards, you know, to use the the athletic terms flex and extend the spine. The erectors are made to stabilize the spine and when you do something like a sandbag carry where you're in this strong pillar like position your whole core is just switched on the whole time your lower back will light up like few things that you've done in the past but it is not because it is a bad thing that's happening or you're not injuring that area it's just it's the same you're working those muscles the same as you would if you were training another part of your body those are just muscle contractions and it's making that area stronger so when you go to do these in the future the more you do them it's just like anything the better you're going to get at them, and you're and you if you're low back, can handle 400 meter walking or walking lunges. That's a whole different one we'll talk about someday. 400 meter sandbag carry without dropping it or dropping it once maybe. I promise you, you have a steel spine and have very little chance or a a much lower chance of injuring it doing something athletic. So that would be my all-time favorite sandbag workout. There's a variation of it where you do like 50 meters with as heavy as a sandbag as you can pick up. Um, and the last time I did it, it was probably that like 250 pound bag. And 50 meters is a long ways if you're carrying a 200, maybe it was 200 pounds. Might have been 200 pounds. Uh, I don't think I got the 250 on that one. I didn't make it the full distance um but it is it's it's a challenge so i love those kind of things like that just because it's different than what you would normally do training wise and so that's why i always recommend that people have sandbags or one or two of them that they can use as substitutes for different exercise modalities and that's why i love them so much so good question uh let's do one more mm, 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 mm. ooh good one uh <laughs> Uh, What's the deal with raw milk? Awesome question. So uh, if you follow me on Instagram, I've been posting a lot about raw milk lately. Uh, When I started really getting into the raw milk thing, it's been probably about a year, uh, but during carnivore month, which was about the middle of January to the middle to end of February-ish when I did it with my coaching group, I really got into it a lot more because I'd kind of been off and on. Often on it since you know last spring when I really kind of got into it. So let's let's look at this from a couple of different ways with raw milk or raw dairy of any kind. We're talking about it's not uh, pasteurized and it's not homogenized. So pasteurization process is when it gets super heated up, right, to to burn off all the bacteria, right, that would cause illness or or whatever you know, supposedly cause illness. And what happens is when it's pasteurized, not only does it burn off all of the bad bacteria, but it also burns off all of the good bacteria and good digestive enzymes that are already in the product, the dairy, whatever it is, if it's cheese, yogurt, milk, whatever. Now, uh, the reason that I believe that so many people that are lactose intolerant have intolerance is because those digestive enzymes that are already a part of the milk aren't there to helping aid in the process of breaking down the lactose when it's digested in their system, which is the whole point of it. It is there to help break down the lactose. And so you're relying solely on your body to do it. And some people can do it and some can't. Now I've had a lot of experiences with people that tell me they're lactose intolerant and try drinking raw milk and they actually can tolerate it quite well and, and they enjoy it because it's something where they maybe developed it, you know, this intolerance in their 20s or 30s or whatever and they just miss drinking dairy dairy product or cheese or whatever it is. If you go the raw dairy route and you still have those digestive enzymes and proteins as a part of the of the dairy product, it's actually going to help you break that down inside your system so you're not relying solely on your body to do so. And there's tons of other vitamins and minerals and things that are prevalent in raw forms of milk and dairy products that aren't in the pasteurized pro- versions of these products uh, there's, it's just like with anything processed, right? Um, would you rather have fresh fruit or would you rather have the canned fruit that has been on a shelf for six months? Right. Uh, there's, it's, it's the same thing. So we always want to try and go back as far as we can to the natural source. Now, one of the things that's, it's mind blowing to me and really stupid is that it's literally illegal in some States in the, in America to sell raw milk, and it's sometimes a felony to transport it across state lines. That's how much stupid regulation stuff exists around everything, really. But specifically around this, it just makes zero sense. So what you can do is go to a website called, uh, I'm actually gonna type this in just because I'm making sure I wanna get it. I think it's find, or it's realmilk.com. Let's see. I believe it's realmilk.com. Yeah, it is. So www.realmilk.com and you can use this and find, there's tons of information about, uh, uh, real and raw milk. Uh, they've got a lot of good stuff. You can also check out the Weston a price foundation. They've got tons of great information, uh, research articles, all kinds of things on the benefits of it, but real milk, you can actually, there's a, uh, a feature on there where you can find a map and find where around you sells it. And maybe it's a local farm or maybe there are some retail places like a co-op or a small country store. Um, in your area that sells it. So uh, you can find if you're able to get it. And I know that (laughs) there's a couple of my friends that uh, they can't, there's none in their areas, but there is raw dairy that is labeled as raw dairy as for pets right? It's the same thing, but they just list it as it's for pets because they can't recommend because of state regulations that humans drink it. So they just buy it at like, I don't know if he gets it at the pet store or whatever, but he literally gets it and it says supplement for dogs and cats. It's hilarious. And so uh, you can go that route too and go kind of the underground uh, speakeasy bootleg raw milk route, which is kind of gangster in my book, which is awesome. So if you go that route, please let me know. And I want to tell you that you're awesome. So, um, I have been doing a raw milk shake as my protein shake, because honestly, it's, it's more high quality ingredients and a better tasting protein shake than any protein shake I've ever had in my life. Uh, and it's much, much better for you than any powdered version of anything that I can think of. And, and this is my opinion, obviously. Uh, and it might trigger some of you. And I say that because I had to explain to my wife that it was very safe for me to do this, uh, <laughs> because she is, uh, very big into the don't do raw food stuff. Um, I'll just leave it at that. So <laughs> we, uh, what I do is I take, you know, eight to 10 ounces, probably closer to 10 ounces. If I had a good training session, raw milk, um, a little bit of raw cream if I have some, and then two to three, depending on the training session, raw eggs cracked straight into the, I use a mason jar just cause it's easy to mix all of it up in straight into the mason jar, a tablespoon of raw honey, a little pinch of sea salt and a little dash of cinnamon, uh, and just whisk the the pants off of that thing and make it nice and and shake like. And I promise you, it's the best shake you've ever had in your life. So please let me know if you try that. Take take a picture and send it to me or whatever. But it's honestly, it's the best protein shake you'll ever have in your life, uh, from a nutrition standpoint and from a taste standpoint. Uh, so that's my deal with raw milk. I'm going to post a lot about it. So thank you for that question. I've been getting that one a lot, actually. So that is going to do it for this week's Ask Me Anything episode. This was a fun one. got some good questions, covered a spectrum of things. So be on the lookout. We're going to do more Ask Me Anythings. Probably once or maybe once a month we'll do an Ask Me Anything episode on a Thursday. Uh, So thank you again for the questions. Stay on the lookout for when I post those things so you can ask a question if you've got one. Uh, We'll do another one in a few weeks. So have a good weekend and check out the interview episode on Monday. Peace. (laughs)